Welcome back to The Shorter, a podcast on The Shorter Catechism, where two pastors take 20-something minutes and confess their way through the 107 questions of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. I'm your host, Tommy Parker. I'm joined by my co-host, Stephen Spinnaweber. Happy almost Thanksgiving, buddy. We're like a week away. I can't be thankful for you in advance of Thanksgiving? No, you can. I'm just saying you're it's welcome. really close. Yeah. You're, you're welcome. You're uh, welcome. Fun fact. My wife and I were talking about this. Do you know what the number one day for pizza ordering is in the United States? Super Bowl Sunday. False. It's related to Thanksgiving. Black Friday. Ooh, okay. No, think before. Oh, Wednesday. Because everybody's prepping for yeah. Thanksgiving, and you don't want to have something that's even remotely like Thanksgiving. You don't celebrate with pizza, right? No. So that's what people do. Yeah. They get they get pizza delivered. I wonder if you can make a really good pizza with stuffing. You should ask Nikki. Oh, we're going to do it. Because we, Nikki, we make this really good stuffing where it's like this... All this bread stuff. Oh, Earth Fair doesn't exist anymore. This is sad news. But anyways, but we make this really good stuffing, and it has sausage in it, and a whole bunch of other stuff. And every so every Friday, we have the stuffing with an egg on top for breakfast. But what if we also add that stuffing to a pizza later on in the day? I'm glad that you actually rightly identified this, you know, Thanksgiving staple. Because there's a bunch of weirdos out there that call it dressing. And when I think of dressing, I'm thinking of like a salad dressing. Or the gravy. Yeah. No. People are weird. It's stuffing. All right. Well, that was important. It is important. It's life-changing. It's truly life-changing. Well, we... My daughter was born on Thanksgiving. Tilly. Oh, nice. Yeah. So... We also hope that the shorter catechism questions we're tackling today are equally, if not more so, life-changing than Thanksgiving this year, 2020. So, questions 37 and 38. Last time we talked about the benefits that believers enjoy in this life. What are we talking about today, Tommy? We are going to talk about the benefits, particularly that believers receive from Christ at death. And the benefits that believers receive from Christ at the resurrection. So, you want to read those questions? Oh, I would love to read those. So, question 37. What benefits do believers receive from Christ at death? The souls of believers are at their death made perfect in holiness and do immediately pass into glory. And their bodies being still united to Christ do rest in their graves till the resurrection. Question 38. What benefits do believers receive from Christ at the resurrection? At the resurrection, believers being united up in glory shall be openly acknowledged and acquitted in the day of judgment and made perfect, blessed in the full enjoying of God to all eternity. That's a sweet two questions and answers there. It is. And what we're going to do to structure our time We'll take each question in turn, breaking down the various clauses that compose each question. But as we've done previously, like our episode on adoption with Romans 8, we brought in sort of big texts, landmark texts that tie into the doctrine. I find the larger catechism to be especially helpful on these questions because 
I think the Shorter Catechism does a great job of giving us the bones, the structure, sort of the, uh, you know, the the outline of eternity and, and the things that await believers. But the larger Catechism sort of fleshes that out; it flourishes and, and gives us an expansion. Yeah, the Shorter Catechism is like the the bones of a house, and the larger Catechism is like the furniture. Mm, yeah. So it, here's some furniture, some food for thought. Um, some stuffing for thought. Larger Catechism, question 86. What is the communion and glory with Christ? Stop there. Um, the communion and glory that's spoken of there is our union with Christ and how it has present, future aspects, both in death and resurrection, uh, which the members of the invisible church enjoy immediately after death. The answer, the communion and glory with Christ, which the members of the invisible church enjoy immediately after death is, in that in their souls are then made perfect in holiness, received into the highest heavens, where they behold the face of God in light and glory, waiting for the full redemption of their bodies, which even in death continue united to Christ, and rest in their graves as in their beds. I love that image. They rest in their graves as in their beds. Till at the last day they be again united to their souls. Whereas the souls of the wicked are at their death cast into hell, where they remain in torments and under darkness, and their bodies kept in their graves as in prisons till the resurrection and judgment of the great day. So we're going to talk about resting in Christ, the union that believers have with Christ. But I think those two images alone just set it off. Believers' bodies rest in their graves as in beds. Unbelievers in prisons. Um, and notice the idea of believers. And we had a clause in there, Tommy, that I don't know if we talked about this previously, but invisible church, members of the invisible church. What are we talking about there in that, that clause? Yeah, there's a distinction that theologians and pastors have made throughout all of church history is that there are, there's a, the visible church. So everything that we see, uh, I, I would say people who come to church on Sunday and probably more particular ones who have been baptized mm -hmm. uh, in a number of different traditions. Uh, and then the invisible, the, the elect of God, uh, the ones who will be what this passage is saying will be true of the, those invisible ones of all time throughout all the ages mm -hmm. uh, would be true of them. Uh, so it's the distinction between those who profess faith and those who possess yeah, saving no, faith. Yeah, that's good. Good job. Thank you. Mind the peas. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the external, we could call it the visible church, is what you can see with your eyes, the professions of faith. But as we learn in the gospel or John's, you know, first epistle, there are some who were from us, but were not of us. They went out from us, but were not of us. And so there are lots of people who may be in the church externally, visibly, but aren't in Christ invisibly, that is internally and savingly. So what I think the divines are doing here is just guarding against presumption because maybe in evangelism you deal with this. You say, hey, you know, do you have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus, they'll say, you know, I don't know why you Christians make such hay about this. Like, I go to church. I belong to a church. I'm on the church rolls. And so, I'm going to partake of all these benefits just like anybody else will. 
But um, we have to understand what is it that punches our ticket to heaven? It's not that we're members of the church only visibly. We need to be members of the church invisibly, by faith, in Christ. Um, and only those will partake of these benefits. Yeah, again, as we looked at you know, last week, you know, the good shepherd, the ones who hear the very voice of God. So, let's go through these benefits sort of the same way that we did last week. So, believers at their death, catechism says they're made perfect in holiness. Made perfect in holiness. Um, why is that important, I guess we should say? Like, aren't we holy enough now? Um, we've been saved, right? So, aren't isn't this good enough? Uh, no, it, clearly it's not good enough. Uh, and I think we, we know deep inside it's not good enough. Uh, that we've been, there's one thing, and we've kind of joked about this the last couple of weeks, there's one thing to be justified being declared right, and there's a whole other thing to be glorified being made right. Oh, sanctified. Well, there is it's that middle. Right. So The making, yeah, sorry. Yeah, so I'm saying there's one thing to be declared right, there's that process of sanctification. Since we're talking about glorification, there's this whole another thing to be that we're going to actually become right. Mm -hmm. uh, and we're leaning towards that. And now we're in sanctification. This already but not yet reality that we're being made into what he's declared us to be. But we're longing for that day and leaning forward to actually be made into the what he's already declared us to be. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the book of Hebrews verses 23 and 24 of chapter 12, speak in this way. There are the spirits of men, these are men in heaven, they're spoken of as being made perfect. In Hebrews 12, 24, so let us who are still living strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. You know, lots of people, it, it's holiness is the prerequisite for entering into glory because God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And, and we would confess, as you said, there is darkness in us. And so we need that darkness purged. We need the light to um, flood out all the darkness that's within. And um, I think this runs contrary to a lot of people's view on heaven, because when people ask you know, others, what do you think heaven is like? They'll be like, well, I think it's going to be a golf course. I think it's going to be a beach or mountain views. I'll play frisbee golf with Tommy Park. Or spike ball. I'm better at this. Or croquet. Cro Ooh, I like croquet. I know. Easter? Yeah, it's a family tradition. Did you get that from Downton Abbey? No, just somebody gave me a set for a college graduation. Not been, bad. Been playing ever since. Bocce ball. Bocce so ball. much stuff to do. And so we, we really make heaven. Shuffleboard. Now you're getting old. But we do live in Florida. But there's some older saints in heaven. Absolutely. Um, and we make heaven really after our own image and our own desires and our own appetites, when really heaven is all about holiness, because that's where Jesus is. That's where God is. And so we're going to be made perfectly blessed, as we'll learn later, to the full enjoying of him to all eternity. Now, what that looks like and the activity of human beings in heaven, I'm just going to put my hand over my mouth. Um, but but honestly, unbelievers wouldn't like heaven because that's where Jesus is and they don't like Jesus. So holiness is this process of us being conformed to his image, being like him in every way, the glorification, you know, 
um, is the fruit of just this long process of sanctification, right? And we're made meat for heaven, in other words, so that we can enjoy it fully. So made perfect in holiness and immediately pass into glory, the next benefit. So where do we get that doctrine? I think the first place this comes up is when Jesus is on the cross, uh, where you know he's talking to the guy on the does it even say on the right or the left? It's just, it's just one of the guys. I didn't get asked that on my floor exams for Presbytery, and I'm glad because I, Ooh, I wouldn't have got it. It's like a trick question. But I don't think it says. Does it say? We're going to get somebody in listener comments that tells us you. They're going to find it in the Greek. They are. But anyways, when Jesus is on the cross, he, he one of the guys who are the on the cross next to him you know, said, you know, truly I say to you, today – you shall be with me in paradise. And so just that immediate immediacy that once you die, you we move on to glory. We move on to something that is not like where we're currently in. And for a lot of people, this may sound a little shocking because you go to places like First Peter and it talks about, you know, Jesus went and preached to the souls that were in prison and you know, Jesus' body was in the grave, so he was in hell for three days, and then he got sprung, as it were, and, you know, reunited with his body. But Jesus said to the thief, today, you'll be with me in paradise. Your body is going to stay here, but today, immediately, we're both going into glory. Um, I can't remember the first time that that, like, struck me, that Jesus wasn't in hell. His soul wasn't in hell for three days, but I mean... Luke 23, 24 is the text. And then you go to 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8, where Paul's sort of going back and forth, you know, do I desire to die now? Because he's been through a lot and he's tired, no doubt. Or do I desire to stay alive? And he says, we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, that is while we're alive, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and home with the Lord. When we're away, when our soul is uh, at death, goes away from our body, it is immediately with the Lord. So Jesus spoke that way, Paul spoke that way. Um, and I think that's a tremendous comfort um, at the graveside service for, you know, when people are burying family members. Where are they right now? Like, where is my believing family member? Well, even before that, I mean, at the deathbed. Mm hmm. You know, that uh, you can look, uh, and you've seen this before. I've seen it before, you know, pastoring, uh, you know, somebody on their deathbed that uh, there is grieving at that moment. But there's a grieving with hope, as First Thessalonians puts it, because, uh, and there's some, a lot of people relieve. Uh, my loved one's not in pain anymore mm -hmm. because he's in glory. He's with Christ. Only believers can be ambivalent about death, that mixture of grief and joy. If there's no heaven to which they're heading, it's just pure grief. But we grieve as those with hope. It doesn't say we don't grieve, but we do grieve, but in hopeful expectation that we're going to see them again, body and soul. And the reason we're going to see their bodies again is because we believe that their bodies are still united to Christ. So that next clause in uh, question 37 and their bodies being still united to Christ do rest in their graves until the resurrection. So though we would say that the soul of man is of primary importance, our bodies are by no means insignificant to God. Because um, you go to like Psalm 139. God put 
a lot of care and detail and attention into the, our creation, right? I mean, Psalm 139, what does it say? Yeah, for you were formed in the inner parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. So God has made us in our recreation. Our renewal will be with the whole man, the whole body, body and soul. Uh, there's Again, there's this, and we'll see this distinction between these two questions. There's still an already and not yet reality. I mean, so it's like, the new heavens and new earth is a physical reality. Uh, and yeah. we'll see that in the next question. It's not this ethereal thought. Yeah, yeah. It's not heaven. One of my professors famously said that, you know, heaven is just a bus stop because the final destination is the new heavens and new earth. Mm. No, our our souls will be reuni- reunited to the the body. And so it's just important to to realize that that Revelation 21, Isaiah 65, those passages of a real physical, earthly reality in the new heavens, new earth is is true. And that's what kind of the ultimate glorification where we're heading. And where's Jesus' body right now? It's in heaven. So our Coffee with Calvin discussion group we have on Tuesdays, I mean, Calvin says it very well. He says, better is uh, holy ignorance than vain presumption. So I'm not going to pretend to say, well, what's heaven like? I know that heaven has physical dimensions to it because that's where Jesus' physical body is right now. However, um, we are awaiting a fuller consummation and a setting right of all things. So to kind of use a brief illustration, you know, the uh, like if you were to go to like a junkyard and see the shell, you were to see the body of like a 65 Corvette. You wouldn't say, ugh, you know, put it in the compactor. It's it's useless. No, that thing is going to be restored by somebody. I mean, it's beautiful, this original body. And likewise, our bodies, yeah, they break down, they rust, and, you know, our motors, as it were, give way. But God's going to come, and he's going to take that shell and breathe new life into it and make it better than it originally was. So that's what we receive from Christ at our death, but in our resurrection, the resurrection with which we participate with Christ, we, we receive even more benefits. Um, so that question, it's question 38. Yeah, where it says, at the resurrection, believers being raised up into glory shall be open, acknowledged, and acquitted in the day of judgment and made perfectly blessed in the full enjoying of God. To all eternity. So, and so, and you can see the difference again, and just not to really pick at this, but in 37, 38, there's this our souls are one place, our bodies are another. There's a united of those two things. And then, uh, even at the resurrection, Jesus coming for the leaving, I don't know how this is all going to work out, but just this, you know, him also being reconnected uh, to the earth of the new creation. And, there's this kind of victory march there that we see in First Thessalonians 4, mm-hmm. um, but there's so much. And to that point, I mean, you, you, you talked to me about it before. You're like, we are going to participate in the judgment and the triumphal re-entry of Christ on the earthly scene. First Corinthians 6, verses 2 through 3, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are ju- are to judge angels 
how much more than matters pertaining to this life. So the image here, Romans 2 says that God's going to come and he's going to judge the deeds of man according to Jesus. So Jesus is the judge. We'll sort of be behind the judges. We'll sort of be, as it were, in the, uh, not audience, what do you call it? The jury, right? We'll, we'll agree with the judgment of the judge. And so in that sense, we'll be openly acknowledged and acquitted. We'll be the innocent parties um, who are victorious over uh, the enemies of God. So we've been openly acknowledged and acquitted ourselves. God says, not guilty, enter into my rest. The sheep go to the right, the goats go to the left in the lake of fire, and God's people will give an amen, as it were, to all of his judgments because he's going to make all things right. So, um, yeah, that, that judging angels, it, it's interesting in the larger catechism to quote that again, I'll just read it and then you st- stop me anywhere that you think, hey, that that's a good word. What shall be done to the righteous at the day of judgment? This is question 90 in the larger. At the day of judgment, the righteous being caught up to Christ in the clouds shall be set on his right hand and there openly acknowledged and acquitted shall join with him in the judging of reprobate angels and men from 1 Corinthians 6, like I just read, and shall be received into heaven where they shall be fully and forever freed from all sin and misery, filled with inconceivable joys, made perfectly holy and happy both in body and soul, in the company of innumerable saints and holy angels, but especially in the immediate vision and fruition of God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit to all eternity. And this perfect communion and full communion which the members of the invisible church shall enjoy with Christ in glory at the resurrection and the day of judgment. This is it. Um, beatific vision. Do you see that in there? Just beholding God. Yeah. Pretty remarkable day. I mean, this is the, I mean, just imagine your, remember your wedding where you're like, I can't wait. I can't wait. And how awesome it was. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is the wedding feast of the lamb. Mm-hmm. How much more? Is this day going to be glorious um, as we wait for that that ultimate wedding that's to come? And this is important, you know. Often, you know, people joke, you know, like, "Oh, what's your view of eschatology?" And you know, you got people who are all mill, and some people are post mill, and some people will joke, "I'm a pan millennial." You know, it's all going to pan out in the end. You know, I'm pro millennial. Yeah, I'm for the millennial. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, you know, there's all these jokes where, you know, we need to realize that eschatology, as we study these things of the last things, are important. Uh, they're important because they give us a posture. It should give us a healthy posture of leaning forward that things matter, um, even things matter now. You know, just the salvation of souls, our, our own edification, our longing for for what we just read in question 90 of the larger catechism, what we're reading in 38 and the shorter, is that that's going to be true one day, and we're longing and waiting for that reality. Mm-hmm. When I was young, I would always, like Thanksgiving dinners, my uh, my uncle, he lives in like Roland Park. It's a pretty part of Baltimore. Um, and I can just remember, like as the night grew on, I just dreaded having to leave. And I was always so sad because I had to wait 364 days until the next Thanksgiving meal. But we'll never have to leave. Um, the Eagles, you know, um, you can, what, how's the line go? But you can never leave. 
you can check out anytime you like, but you can never leave. And it's kind of like a creepy song, um, not being able to leave Hotel California. But we'll never have to leave God's presence. There's no end to the Thanksgiving meal, this, this wedding supper of the Lamb. Like, we'll forever be with the Lord, and we don't have to worry about, oh, I've got to wait again. Um, it's going to be unbroken, perfect fellowship forever. Yeah, as you were reading the larger catechism, I kind of chuckled because we've been re-going through the children's catechism with my kids, and it was, I can't think of how the questions say, but how were you created? You were created holy and happy. Mm-hmm. And that language is straight from here, clearly, um, as we're longing for that day of recreation of being holy and happy again, mm-hmm. um, and that's what we're longing for. Yeah. So. So we're this is our last episode of season one, Tommy. I'm feeling very nostalgic. Well, it's not our last. It's the last of you and me. It's the last of you and me. But we got Randy Greenwald on Thursday. The Macho interview. Man Randy Greenwald. Yeah, should be fun. Yeah, he does a great job. Oh yeah. So, do you have any highlights, low lights, medium lights? Like you know, from season one, there's been a lot of, you know, fireworks. What what stood out to you? That's a good question. Put me on the spot. No, I I've am. enjoyed like looking at the shorter catechism differently, uh, not just for my own soul, but as we're talking it for other people. You know, just uh, there's a little bit of light there uh, that you know just to see the the beauty, uh, the richness of the shorter catechism. And then second, you know, we've interviewed a lot of my friends, a lot of your friends, but we've also interviewed a handful of people that we just kind of randomly found on the internet and reached out to them and they said sure and and those have been all sweet conversations you know and so i've enjoyed those interviews uh, quite a bit same here yeah I, I always enjoy the time that we have before and after the interviews the uncut uh you know the shorter but yeah uh, if we included those in our episodes it would be called the longer and nobody wants that nobody wants that so no, I've enjoyed getting to know some of your buddies. Um, you really are like the dosa keys man of the PCA. You're the most interesting man in our denomination. You know everybody somehow. Thoroughly enjoyed going through this first uh, third of the catechism with you all. Uh, you basically now, I was told in seminary by a, uh, a very wise pastor, he said, Steve, if you just memorize questions one through 40 of the shorter catechism, you can't fail your theology exam <laughs> to become a pastor. You can't. Um, and so now, for a lot of you, I think, hopefully, um, listening, maybe you're not you know, on track to go to seminary or to uh, exercise leadership in the church. Maybe you're a mom who's trying to raise up the next generation and you're learning the catechism yourself. We really hope this has been helpful for you and that um, we're giving you passing on to you the same things that were passed on to us because uh, they were so meaningful. Um, well, and not just us, but they've been passed down for hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a richness to that tradition. Uh, you know, just like, you know, when your mom gave you China from your grandmother, how much more, uh, you know, these riches from Christ uh, that have been passed down to us, at least from the 1600s till now. Uh, yeah. So, but we'll be back in January with uh, walking through the Ten Commandments. So, till we meet then, keep it short.
benefits to believers Received from Christ at death The souls of believers Are at their death made Perfect in holiness And do immediately Pass into glory And their bodies Being still united to Christ Do rest in their graves Till the resurrection Benefits to believers Receive from Christ and death The souls of believers Are at their death made Perfect in holiness And do immediately Pass into glory And their bodies Being still united to Christ Do rest in their grave